Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sales Leadership All Access, a weekly broadcast dedicated to helping sales leaders lead. Uh, so each week we bring on four leaders in front of a live audience to discuss some, some topical challenges facing the world of sales. And today we're going to be, what we like to say, deconstructing revenue and the teams that drive it. Let's just, we haven't got Josh yet. So the topics we're going to be going through, and I think each of you have been briefed on these, um, is how teams are being restructured or have been restructured over the past six months and how we keep them aligned. Uh, the challenges and advantages of having a remote sales operation and the, the metrics that matter, are the same sales metrics still relevant now as they were, say, nine months ago? And then also we're going to finish off with a prediction on the future of sales operations so guys on the panel how does that sound did that sound exciting yeah yeah absolutely amazing henrik um yeah i'll pretend that i know about everything that i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> okay josh um, he's here but he's maybe in the wrong link so i'll just josh don't worry i'll get callum to sort you out Josh. I've just sent him the link. Okay, thanks, man. Okay, cool. So let me hit hit you guys with the intro to each of you that I've done as per my research. So we're going to start with Henrik. Now, Henrik's background, super interesting. He's come through both Accenture. I used to work at Accenture, actually. I, I think you're a bit more senior than me. Um, and then from Accenture, well, actually, pre-Accenture, it was like a Salesforce consulting company that got bought by Accenture. And then you, you moved to... Salesforce itself, and now are currently the GM at G2, which I think is a very, very fast-growing uh, company that has quite a cool sales culture from my experience. Henrik, how was that for an intro? Sounds great. And I'm also oh. donating my name to people like Josh today, as you can see from the video. Because I gave him my oh. link. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Josh, so you can just relabel. I couldn't yeah, yeah. find the registration link anywhere. I, I was going through Callum's emails and everything, and it wasn't in my meeting invite. All right, no worries, yeah. Josh. I, but the intro I, sounds great, by the way. It's all good. Um, and yeah, and it's thanks, um, sorry, it's a lot of people don't really know how to pronounce it. It's Henrique, so it's like think of Henry oh. with a K at the end. Yeah, yeah, okay. Thank you, Henrique. So we've got one one intro down. Josh, welcome. You've been renamed. Um, so now, actually, perfect timing, Josh. I'm actually a podcast host as well, Josh. So Josh has the Love Selling Hate Sales podcast. Is, is, did I get that correct? You have it correct. Amazing. Has an extensive background in sales uh, and currently is head of partnerships uh, and is an enterprise account exec at Lead MD. Josh, welcome to the discussion. Thank you. Perfect. Imogen. Um, ex Forrester, and I love Forrester sales enablement and sales ops people. We have another podcast called Sales Ops Demystified, by the way, and I get the Forrester guys on and they just blow my mind with future trends. Um, Imogen has an extensive sales ops and enablement background, now uh, is consulting on those topics as part of andgrow.io. Imogen, welcome to the panel. Hello, thank you. That's absolutely perfect. Uh, thank you. And finally, it says Mahesh in my notes, but I think that's wrong. It's Mahesh, isn't it? That's so right. Mahesh led inside sales at for Southeast Asia for Monster, has a motivational speaking experience, and is now the CRO at Orwin, uh, an AI-enabled sales HR platform. 
Mahesh, how was that? Perfect. Amazing. Mahesh, welcome. Okay, guys, so we're going to jump straight in here. Um, I'm going to read out a question and I'm going to pick on one of you to, to give an answer. And then we'll have a discussion. Feel free to kind of jump in and chat with each other. And I'll be here just to facilitate the discussion. I have a, a, a rough kind of knowledge of sales ops from hosting this other podcast we have. Um, but you guys obviously have like committed large chunks of your life to this stuff. So I'm going to let you take the stage. And so my first question, and I'm going to give this to Imogen, if that's okay. Is, yeah, I'm sorry, Imogen. With you the, um, coming. <laughs> you were the first in, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, so my first question is, and here's actually a good one for you, I think, because you, I assume, have a number of clients that have been going through this. How have sales teams been restructured since the virus, if at all, for, from what you've seen from your clients? Okay, so there's sort of two elements to this, right? The people who have um, industries that have struggled. So they've needed to think about how to furlough or be more flexible about working with their sales organizations. And actually those people in industries who are doing fantastically and need to think about how to better focus and drive their sales organizations to, to where the heat is, if you like. So there's two things I've seen. Um, and I'm really excited to hear what everybody else has to say about this as well, actually, because I live in a world of uh, portfolio companies and working with a private equity company and helping their portfolio companies. It's quite a specific environment in terms of what's happening to companies over the last nine months. Um, but what I've found is real, uh, real specification about roles. So it's almost like the rise of the SDR, the rise of customer success within the revenue generating world. And then I get loads and loads of, of questions about, you know, should we double down on our hunter farmer model should i really split people into driving new business and then step away and hand that over and have another group of people who are really trying to drive revenue so there's a lot of questions about how to get really specific about what the sales organizations look like and i think that's about the skills that are out there and how the hell you manage a digitalized sales organization that wasn't previously remote and might have been you know let's just keep an eye on what their behaviors are or, or let's do more reporting on what we can do to, to drive activities so yeah that's that and then i think the other side of it is much more about being careful of people's burnout so you know being really aware of the fact that these blended working from home days can be super long and trying to make sure that the sales organizations um are pointed in the right direction so they're getting the right territory the reports they're getting the right understanding of what's working but also that people are keeping an eye on their health actually they're making sure that they aren't overstretching themselves so it's not exactly your question but an important point too it's a very important consideration now let's i'm going to pick out one thing you said and i'm going to open that to the floor um the first point about structuring like being more specialized or less specialized. I think the other three people on the call all, uh, maybe not directly, but have sales teams below them or around them. Have you guys seen that more specialized or less specialized or just the same over the past six months? And I'm actually going to go with Henrique because when you ask questions to groups, often you get no one. So Henrique, that question is for you. Let me mute myself here. Um, so question is, um, specialize or don't specialize your sales teams, right? Um, so one of the things that was a big change for me when I joined uh, G2 in March of last year, um, it's hard to keep track of time, uh, was that it was the first time that I was gonna take on 
a revenue number rather than a sales number. So one of the reasons why I was excited to join this discussion is because I have had to rethink um, what revenue means versus just hitting a sales number uh, in my in my current role, which you know, even having been over 10 years in sales, I never really, I understood software as a service and like the, you know, the, the power of um, subscriptions and recurring revenue to drive growth and long-term value. But really, you know, if you've built your career in sales, like I have, you basically just have a number. And when you get a team, it's just like the number just gets bigger, right? Um, so it's the first time I had to think about revenue and think about teams as well. Um, so how specialization comes into play? Well, uh, you know, when you look at revenue, you basically have two businesses, right? You have this acquisition business, and then you have this recurring revenue business, or as I, as we like to look at it inside G2 here in, in Europe, uh, we have a, a new business and an existing business. So existing customers and new customers. And um, what many companies do, um, and in fact, we did that as well at the beginning, is if you don't have a lot of customers, you can basically just have a sales team that does both things, Right and um, they acquire new customers and they manage existing customers and they renew them and they expand them. But very quickly, especially if you're working in fast growth SaaS environments um, like, um, like we are and most of our customers are, uh, you probably leave it too late to change that. And I do believe that uh, specialization between what you might call account managers or relationship managers to uh, ensure renewals happen uh, and that uh, customers get more value and eventually spend more money with you. Um, and then a separate team that's focused just purely on customer acquisition is very important. Um, and let's not forget customer success because the, tr the challenge that you have with hybrid salespeople having to s acquire new customers and, and manage existing ones then just becomes a problem of account managers having to uh, manage commercial relationships with customers and then service them at the same time. Um, so customer success then becomes another specialization that has an incredibly important role to play uh, in uh, ensuring revenue happens and that revenue grows. Um, so I see it as a bit of an evolution uh, and certainly one that we've gone through uh, in the um, year and 10 months that I've been um, leading this team. I, I agree that customer success definitely isn't as important as sales, <laughs> I'm joking. But, but, we, but we must mention them still. I'm, I'm joking, customer success are incredibly important. Now I want to move on to remote sales and I'm gonna pick on Mahesh. I assume your sales team have gone more remote in the past six months. A, do you think this will be permanent? And B, have there been any advantages? Okay, um, for me, uh... You know, over 20 years, I've always believed sales has always been remote. So whether, uh, even if you have frontline sales who go and meet the customers, they make the call first and that is remote, whether they are sitting in the office or wherever they are. So in my belief, it was always remote. It's just that the whole mindset of people being spread out, they are working from their home earlier, there was team bonding. They would exchange on the floor. They would go across and say, this is my account. I want to work on it. But that's, that's, that is what has changed now. Um, I took over when, uh, uh, just when the lockdown happened, when the whole COVID happened. And for me, from day one, it was remote. So we never had the exposure to, you know, the whole uh, uh, working from office. So we were remote right from day one. And what helped was, 
the uh, the the belief in the people to deliver more when they are remote because end of the day for sales guy it is the target which is important and the if they don't believe in achieving those target that will you know that that aspect will never go so for for us uh, it has worked well and i think so we are going to go work like that for next uh, you know at least 12 months that's what that's how it's going to be and uh, they have to uh, go by it but yes sales team they always want to meet up uh they say that we want to come back to office work for a week and then you know uh then again work re- work remote uh that is going to be ha- going to happen it's going to be a more hybrid model uh wherein we have 70% working from home but on and off we will have one week we would meet everyone would meet we will exchange ideas uh you know brainstorm on accounts you know uh, how the split is going to happen so that is what is going to happen in the next uh, uh 4 to 5 months of time makes total sense and i like i think i'm going to pull out the quote from this show is going to be sales has always been remote josh do you agree with that statement well i think there's a slightly different way to look at it right so we're talking about sales teams and a sales floor and all of that collaboration that tends to happen especially in enrique you know startup companies that you know build the bullpen and all that kind of stuff but let's go think about the huge enterprise sales team with these worldwide field sales organizations the adobes the oracles the salesforce right these enterprise sellers have been field sellers for a large part of their career and their day is literally made up by okay i've got two trips this week i'm going to iowa and i'm going to chicago so i map my whole week based on a trip to iowa and chicago managing who's going to be in the room what are the topics going to be what point of the sales cycle am i at all of these different things well those enterprise field sales organizations they're dumbfounded right now they literally don't know what to do so i was talking to a sales leader for Palo Alto Networks and she said my inside team now is teaching my field team how to operate <laughs> and we don't know when field sales in that enterprise motion is going to be a reality again So that's the thing we have to start thinking about is what is field sales going to be our inside sales teams going to start to grow are we going to start to see seven figure deals sold over zoom meetings right where traditionally you would have had a dozen face to face meetings over the course of 12 months in a variety of different phone calls peppered in in between there but how are we going to make that experience a little bit different that's something that i think really needs to be considered because these worldwide field sales organizations are large and they don't operate this way traditionally that's very interesting josh because uh, one of our enterprise customer whom we were talking uh, we were surprised the entire uh, customer side even the ceo the cio they all came came on zoom and they were like very clear we want to do it on zoom we we are okay with it so uh, you know it's going to be hard like you said it's not going to be easy because somebody who is whose day starts with deciding which uh, train to take or which flight to pick up and go it's it's mm. going to be tough for them to change the mindset but yeah customer see more important for us to understand is also from the customer side whether they are ready to meet you you know if they are right. they are okay with okay with a zoom um, yeah i understand large contracts multi million dollar contracts that's going to be a challenge because the timelines are going to go up it's not going to be very quick and you know catching hold of them in their office is going to be tough 
Yeah, I think the flip side of that, though, is people are looking for human connection more than ever. Yeah. <laughs> so you do have that opportunity to potentially get more interaction in a shorter period of time than maybe having to wait for that trip to Chicago, Absolutely. right? And if you can start to build some rapport over phone, over Zoom, and get some face-to-face -face time with those folks, you might be able to even truncate that timetable. I'm curious to see how that inter how that impacts enterprise sales when people don't have to necessarily meet face-to-face -to, -face to have a conversation. With my, um, with my sales enablement hat on, I, I also think that there's some real opportunity here. So I often hear people saying, so are we going to be able to sell these 10 million, 100 million pound, dollar, whatever it is, deals over uh, virtually or in a digitalized way? And I always say, well, what do your buyers actually want, right? Are they going to buy in this environment? I don't care whether you think you can sell it yet or not, because we can establish that. We can make that happen for you. But, you know, is the buyer waiting for everything to lift so that you can get back into a room and talk about it? Or are they able to do something differently with you? And can you step into that uncertainty and own it? So I know um, a company that is an American company. They sell a multi-million dollar healthcare deals. And what they've done is they've actually started to drive revenue through the sales process. So they're building huge workshops, 70, 80 people workshops paid for by the client and prospect that actually is a paid for sales process, adding enormous value to this company, whether they intend, sorry, for their clients and prospects, whether they go on to work with them or not. And they can really test each other out in the room. It's not just, do I like the salesperson? Do I trust what they're saying? Do they know about my industry? It's like, okay, I've got my SMEs in front of me. They're facilitating something really valuable and powerful. They're helping me answer some questions. So I'm not saying that's the way of the world, but I am saying there's some interesting ways to, to lean in there and get your sales enablement crews to think about, you know, what they need to do to support that buying cycle. I think that's fantastic, personally. I mean, honestly, I think as an enterprise seller, you're more of a project manager than ever and a quarterback and getting the right resources to the table to facilitate whatever it needs to happen is what it's going to take, right? Like you don't have all the head knowledge that's gonna solve all the problems. You need to bring the right resources together to make that happen. And I think that, that workshop concept along the way is just super awesome. And it's hard, right? Because, you know, I've been at this 20 years and if the people we ask what, what makes you successful and they're always like, well, I know how to navigate my internal ecosystem. I know who to ask in product. Right. I know who to talk to in marketing. Well, we've lost that now, you know, in these bigger organizations and even in the 100, 150 head organizations, you don't know who James is and whether James is good actually at, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's much harder. You can't, you know, nudge the person who sits next to you and says, how do you actually do that and get attention from your executives to bring them to these board meetings. So I think anywhere that you can put a framework in and anywhere that RevOps can report and show, look, you see, they did a workshop and it really accelerated the sales cycle or increased the deal size. Then you can extrapolate back to, okay, well, let's do that again. Or do you know what? That was a lot of resource and a lot of work and it made no difference to the sales cycle. Let's never do that again. But we tried, you know, and I think, Josh, that I think that's the nub of it, isn't it? How do you get at the experts within your own organization, let alone therefore line them up with your buyers? Mm -hmm. Guys, that was a beautiful discussion. I didn't even have to step in to ask anyone to talk. Thank you so much for that. Now, before we move on, I, I do want to give a shout out to all my field sales reps out there who don't know what to do. Um, if you, if anybody needs training, then you can go to Imogen and Andrew. <laughs> 
to help them with the training. I'm going to get pitch in for everybody. So, so that's for Imogen. Um, <laughs> got all the my, frameworks. Exactly. Imogen has everything that you need, especially if you're field repping and you don't know what to do. That's actually super interesting. I, I hadn't thought of, thought of that this way because initially I thought the field reps would be fine because they're not in the office anyway, but you're right. Like the, the, the way they sell is, is not how I thought. So that was a really good point. Thank you, Josh. Now, next question. I'm going to shake it up a little bit here. We're going to go to Henrique first. Henrique, if you could only measure one sales metric for the rest of your career as a GM or in sales, whatever, um, which one would you choose and why? Just one, really. Just the one, yeah. <laughs> um, before my current role, I wouldn't have said this, but I do think that the most important uh, metric, if you are going to be growing a SaaS or recurring revenue business is net dollar retention. Um, I think that as a guiding light or a North star, it's the best metric. If you're looking at revenue that will tell you what you need to do everywhere else in your sales organization, everywhere else, if, whether it's demand generation, whether it's net new business acquisition, whether it's investment in customer success, net dollar retention for me has been the most important metric in terms of how I figure out what I need to do to double, triple, the revenue of the business in the next few years. And that's it, it kind of, cause that's like a, a more holistic metric than just sales, right? It's basically telling you how, it's also telling you how good the product is because how many people are buying more seats in that time period. Um, so it, it makes sense that it's coming from you as well. Cause you have a more general remit, I think it's GM, right? Well, yeah. I mean, in the topic, the topic of today is revenue operations, right? And if you think about what happens with revenue between periods. Um, and for those that haven't heard net dollar retention before, so it's, it's a measure of, you could say it's a measure of churn. You're basically looking at from your existing customer dollars you had a year ago, let's say, how many dollars do you have now, right? So it takes into account um, what customers have left you. And it takes into account from your existing customer base, how many of them have increased their spend or bought more from you, right? And why is it so important is that if you think about SaaS, it's basically you've got a bucket of revenue and that revenue leaks every year or every month, every quarter, right? Because not everyone renews. Some customers, some companies will have 92% retention, right? But if you think about the fact that every quarter, every year, you're going to lose customers, um, that's going to inform you in terms of how much new business you need to acquire to reach the revenue growth that you look for, Right. And when you think about the fact that on average to sell to an existing customer costs about 40% of the cost than it does to sell to a net new customer, you start to think about where you want to place your bets. Uh, when we did an analysis um, here at G2 uh, in our EMEA business uh, a few months ago, we looked at what does the net dollar retention look like for our businesses when there is a customer success person attached to that account versus when there isn't. And it was more than double, right? Um, so if I was able to get CSM coverage on all of my accounts, I would be adding hundreds of thousands of dollars to my revenue, which I could otherwise pay very expensive salespeople to go and acquire new customers and fill that gap. So that's why I was saying for me, it's like, it's the North star because it tells me what I need to be doing with all of my revenue teams. Beautiful. I'm going to ask the same question to Mahesh. Um, 
for us, the the whole idea of how productive uh, the productivity metrics uh, is something which uh, which really you know measures up right up there. Because um, uh, what has happened with Urwin is why I'm saying productivity is our average order size has gone up uh, over the period of last uh, six to seven months. So when your average order size goes up, so you want your sales team to scale up in terms of large value deals. Uh, of course, it is connected with our changing pricing uh, metrics also. We have changed our uh, pricing so that uh, we can show a good growth. And Urwin in the last seven to eight months has been growing phenomenally in terms of acquiring more customers. Uh, luckily for us, churn has been very, very low. Probably we have lost less than 1% of our customers. So churn has not been a challenge for us. So. So the most important aspect we wanted to measure is how my sales team is productive. What is the productivity they are, uh, they are getting in, uh, depending on the average order size. And we have opened multiple markets and regions also uh, in terms of geographies where we are selling now. Earlier, it was only one region. Now we sell at multiple regions. So we want to measure how each of the region also works well for us. And in each region, whatever the sales team is there, what is the productivity of the sales team and what is the average order size they are able to get. So for us, the productivity of the sales team is, is something which we want to work and we would measure it right up there. For sure. And, and if anybody listening wants a sales team as productive as Mahesh's, then check out Orwin because you can use their sales CRM. Amazing. So now we're actually going to jump on to the final question and we're going to go to Josh. Do you think there's going to be a, or what if within the next quarter, let's say a, a trend within sales or sales operations that you're seeing? Yeah, I, I think, you know, for sales operations specifically, you know, they're bearing the burden of a lot of what's going on right now, right? As teams are learning to work in a virtual environment, you're seeing a big scale up, scale up in revenue ops because everybody's coming to them for, how do I do this? I need this tool. Where do I get this content? Can you get this quote out? Can you, whatever it may be, I think you're going to see ops be a bigger role in a lot of organizations. You know, B2B SaaS has been doing marketing ops, sales ops, revenue ops as a combined unit for quite a while now. They're a little bit of the, the front runner but I think you're gonna see ops start to make its way into more and more traditional legacy types of organizations because of the virtual nature of how we're going to have to sell and go to market for the foreseeable future. We don't, none of us have a crystal ball and really know how that's going to happen. So you're gonna see ops play a more and more important role. And then as a result of that, you're gonna to start to see tech stack and the evaluation of the effectiveness of tech stack be a bigger focus of a lot of organizations because MarTech is huge, sales tech is growing. They're all going to converge into this one thing so that everything can start talking together. So the, if I could narrow what I'm all saying down to one thing is data is going to matter. Someone is going to have to own data and learn how to manage it. Manage it for marketing, manage it for sales, manage it for the full RevOps organization. And more and more companies are going to care about data and start investing money into it and data infrastructure. Makes total sense. Um, and I assume people can also come to lead MD if they want some advice on that. Absolutely. We would Absolutely. love to know your tech stack and your data stack. 
<laughs> Amazing. Now, I, I may have saved the best till last year because we have an ex-Forrester analyst on the call, Imogen. The biggest sales off trend over the next 12 months. So I should preface this by saying I left Forrester about eight years ago. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, and I ran their internal sales enablement organization. So I was a Forrester analyst, but actually I ran and built their global sales enablement and ops organization while they were trying to teach people how to do enablement from the outside. But um, so, okay. But I will put my Forrester head on, which is big ideas and what it means. And I think that, um, what I've seen and what I've worked on with my clients over the last nine months particularly is trying to remove friction and trying to get really agile in how you think about this. So, you know, instead of a moment in time planning process, you now have this sort of rolling opportunity to constantly be reviewing your forecast and your processes and what your plan is. And that's taken teams of people who would never have worked together and said, come on, you need to find some mutual outcomes for this organization. Uh, CFOs and, and chief sales officers or, chi or chief revenue officers, they normally do this sort of healthy friction of, I can't possibly deliver that. You need to, otherwise we can't give you any resources, you know, and, and, and then that healthy friction comes out some really great planning. We've had to try and knock people's heads together a little bit and say, come on, what do you need to do? Where are your friction points and how can we start to remove those? And revenue operations is an amazing place to do that. But sometimes it's as granular as, as to Josh's point, the data. When we've talked about net dollar retention, I've worked in a company where there were three different interpretations of the word retention, one for finance, one for the sellers themselves, and another one for the sales ops organization. And we just had to audit that word to actually get an understanding of what we were talking about. So big picture, I think RevOps is going to try and work out where those friction points are and just smooth them through. And it will also be the sort of backbone for helping people come together and collaborate in ways that they perhaps haven't previously. Uh, we've talked about marketing and ops and sales ops and customer success and looking at those reporting, but uh, more than that, really trying to show where we can find some mutual benefit and some outcomes across the organization. Well, I hope I did Forrester uh, service there in my, uh, my ex Forrester way. Well, yeah, so I'll, I'll be sending the answer to my other Forrester sales ops. <laughs> Tell Anthony, no, it came straight from him. <laughs> yeah, Anthony, yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, and while we're on this topic, reducing friction from sales processes, Evster, who is hosting this, is very good at re reducing friction from your sales org by sucking the data and allowing everybody to see it. So it's a shout out for Evster. I do realize we haven't spoken about G2, but Henrique, I don't think G2 need any, any selling because you, you guys are just crushing, right? Especially in your region, Amir. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much people actually know about G2, but you know, we, we have been around as a business um, for over eight years, but we've actually only been in Europe for two years. So actually what I found was that there was a lot of education about what we do that was needed when we mm. first landed. Um, and in case anyone doesn't know, if you go to g2.com, basically you can read over a million reviews from real users of software. Um, we like to think that we're adding an, an additional layer of data, information, um, and advice to buyers of software, uh, in addition to what traditionally they would have gotten from um, analyst firms. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's about 60 million people a year that go to g2.com to read about um, solutions like Epster Inbox and, and others, right? Um, and, and we're helping sales and marketing teams connect with those 60 million people and help them figure out when you look at MarTech today, if you just click on 
one of our pages for marketing automation, you'll probably see about 50 plus solutions on there. If you look at sales tech, you'll have um, sales engagement, sales, sales enablement, sales intelligence, um, quoting, pricing, contract management, um, sales productivity software, and then you go into um, sales operations, revenue operations. It's a huge space and so much out there, right? It's, it's never been easier to buy software, but either at the same time, it's never been harder to pick the right one. Uh, so that's kind of like the, the, the journey that we're on. But, um, but I think for RevOps, right, if you think about if you work in marketing operations, sales operations, or revenue operations, and some companies now have that role as well, this year has not been easy, right, for everyone, right? Um, you know, when, when the pandemic first hit home, you know, we were thinking, and at least in our company, we we're thinking, you know, where are we going to be hit the hardest? Is it going to be in our existing customer business? Is it going to be in our acquisition business? Do we need to change our pricing? Do we need to change our offerings? And all of these changes and these decisions need to be made really quickly, and they need to be put into place really quickly. And that means updating price lists, CRM systems, quoting systems, um, do, uh, sales documents, right? So collateral. Uh, and a lot of that falls on the RevOps teams. So I think where the future is going, to Josh's point, is I think RevOps will be a lot more data-driven if they're not already. Um, it will become more self-service within the organization. I see really great RevOps teams providing self-service data to sales managers, sales reps across the organization. Um, and really what they're trying to do is help you make the right decisions around where you should be spending your time and what levers can you pull to impact your revenue, right? So should you be looking at your average deal size? Should you be looking at um, how you can get earlier and higher um, pipeline coverage um, earlier in the quarter, earlier in the month? Should you be focusing more on regions where you have a higher win rate or industries where you have a higher success rate? RevOps um, has the ability to provide you that data. And I think that when I'm looking at technology in this space, it's starting to become not just, hey, this is what's going on, but also it's becoming a tool for coaching. Right, so it's helping managers have better coaching conversations with their reps and reps to better understand their business. So that's where all the intelligence comes in. And I think that's where RevOps tech um, will be going as well. It's a beautifully uplifting note to leave our Rev slash SalesOps audience. Thank you very much, Enrique. So we've touched upon the challenge field reps have been having. We've touched upon metrics such as net re revenue retention, a broader one with sales productivity, um, overall, I think it's been enlightening. It's been enlightening for me, guys. Did you, did you think we've enlightened the audience with that discussion? Certainly hope so. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And, and we, we managed to get in a little bit of exposure for each of your brands. So guys, again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really enjoyed it and hopefully we'll be able to have you back someday on the show. Thanks, Thanks, for, having Thanks for having us. us. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. No worries. Thanks guys.